Hello, and welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. This show features conversations between diverse technology professionals discussing women in the industry, cutting-edge innovations, the future of work, deeply technical topics, and the ways that we can all work together to make the world a more inclusive place. We hope you enjoy, and if you do, please subscribe, rate, and comment. It's time for Women Who Code Conversations, a segment to hear from top technology professionals sitting down with a Women Who Code member to discuss real-world experiences in the industry, what they've learned over the course of their career, and what they think is coming next for tech. My name is Navati, and I'm an iOS developer in Toronto and I'm a Women Who Code volunteer, and I'm so excited to interview Pamela Rodas from TELUS International today. Pamela is a seasoned talent acquisition leader in the outsourcing industry for 17 years. She is passionate about promoting diversity and inclusion and preparing professionals for their next step in their career. She is always striving for innovation in the recruitment process an amazing candidate experience to showcase company culture from day one. Thank you so much for joining us, Pamela. Could you tell us more about yourself and your career journey? Of course, and again, thank you so much for having us as TELUS International. I'm so happy to be here to be sharing with you. Uh, today, we are honored to be partners with Women Who Code. Um, so very, again, happy, happy to be here and, and share with amazing women that we want to potentially see as part of our community as TELUS International. So thank you for that. Um, tell you a little bit about myself. <laughs> well, you said a lot. It sounds very overwhelming. Um, I started my career when I was 19 years old. I started working while I was studying at the university still. I was very eager uh, to get uh, the income rolling and not depend on, on my parents. So that's why I started at that age. I studied marketing. Uh, I specialized in uh, business administration as well. I went into human resources about 17 years ago when I was offered an opportunity um, at an outsourcing company. Prior to that, my work was mostly in the marketing and public relations field. But when I had my first day as a recruiter, I never looked back. It was amazing to know how you could combine uh, your vision of helping people, which I love to do, right? Um, and we'll talk about that later as well on, on, as part of my passions. But I love helping people find the right path. Um, I love making sure that I can showcase the product or the service that we are offering in an appropriate way in the market, which is exactly what I studied. So when I went into talent acquisition as a screener level one, many, many years ago, um, I was impressed on what talent acquisition meant in the outsourcing industry. And as I mentioned, I never looked back. I started my career um, as a screener, moved up into a testing administrator. Uh, then I was a team leader within talent acquisition. I managed sourcing afterwards. Sourcing is the strategies that you have going to market, 
Uh, then I moved up into an HR manager, a more holistic role. Um, but then I, I quickly, after two years, moved into a talent acquisition manager regionally, uh, managing uh, various countries among Central and, and South America. Uh, afterwards, I became a global senior manager, uh, managing specifically digital solutions for uh, the Americas, for Asia, and for North America as well. Then uh, after that, I became a director managing the, the same lines of business. And almost three years ago, I became a senior director for talent acquisition globally for all of the regions that we manage today as Talos International. That is Asia, Eastern and Central Europe, North America, Central and South America as well. We manage the CX hiring, which means our back office, content moderation, voice, non-voice services that we give to our clients today, digital solutions, which is your basic help desk positions, which are the level one, all the way to architects um, and senior resources, IT managers that we may have in, in the digital field. And last but not least, the AI world, artificial intelligence. Um, I specialize a lot on that along with my team as we recruit for big firms today. Um, I, as part of our, our work and our scope in Telus International. Wow, your career journey is so interesting and you have so much exposure to different technologies. That is really cool. Um, could you tell us more about the work that you do at Telus? Yes. First of all, Telus International, amazing community. Right? I've been here for 14 years and um, as, as I said, when I first joined Talent Acquisition 14 years ago, I never imagined that I would still be here, right? It's a long time. And when you're young, you tend to think, you know, you're going to be at a place for a couple of years, then you're going to move on to another place. But the fact and the, and, and the matter that Astellas International, we specialize on building careers for our internal talent. And I am a true testament to that. Right? I started as in a local scope and I moved on to a global scope. I'm very proud of it because um, they gave me an opportunity to manage a global team out of Central America, which is not common. And that just goes to show that uh, we live by our values. Passion for growth, passion to innovate, uh, the capacity to let teams be comfortable among each other, make mistakes, right? Find solutions together is what has built us into this amazing company that we have worldwide of more than 60,000 employees. We're not your normal outsourcing company. When you think about outsourcing, you immediately think about the CX world, back office calls, right? Aside from that, which is a huge part of our business, we also do digital solutions. Uh, we do a lot of help desk, back office technical work like an IT support, the infrastructure world, server management, networking, and of course, the development space, which is such in fashion right now, as we say, everyone's talking about it. Everyone wants to be in that space and we are there as well. So we manage positions from developers level one 
all the way to architects, crypto experts, uh, Salesforce, GCP. Wow, I, I can go on on the amount of technologies we manage today for different clients in the telecommunication industry, financial sector as well, and of course, startups that have emerging technologies. We give to our employees exposure to all of those technologies from day one. And in the AI sector, artificial intelligence, a part of our core work is to create content, monitor it as well, and uh, create analytics for our clients on what are the trends that are happening in the markets. So that can define what type of products can be launched by the big firms today. Again, our model is very different than the rest. We go in into countries and we acquire companies with the expertise. So we can take that away, combine it with our secret sauce of TELUS International, our culture, our values, that way that we respect our internal talent. Uh, that says a lot on why we have a lot of team members that are tenured and that have built their career within TELUS International. We have team members in Asia that have been with us for 20 years in Canada that come from the line of our parent company, TELUS, uh, which is a huge stakeholder of ours today. Now that we are a public company, they come in with 30 years of experience. We have team members in North America, which as you know, is a very volatile market with more than 15 years of experience. And again, that just goes to show how we live by our values, the career paths that we offer, and that we put our internal teams first. We're very big in our um, corporate social responsibility activities as well. We do a lot for our communities in every region that we operate today. And aside from just working and doing donations, we have a lot of programs under our belt specifically for women, hashtag work for her. I'm part of it as well, of course. We help women in communities um, get prepared for their first opportunity, their first job opportunity. We train them as well. We give them the skills that they require for an opportunity with us. Language is a huge part of it too. We focus on that as well and many more programs regarding wellness ever since the pandemic. As you know, our world shifted completely in, in a remote environment. We do a lot today for our team members that are working from home, team members that are attending our offices now that all of the countries that we operate in have opened up. Uh, we take care of them and make sure that they are in a safe environment that they can focus on doing their job and working on their professional growth as well. So that's a little bit about us. Well, your position is so <clears throat> fascinating. And moreover, it's so interesting to learn about TELUS International and how it's different from the others and how global it is, plus how community driven you guys are. So loving that. Um, I'd like to know once someone is hired, what are the initiatives for their career growth and um, especially for women's professional growth? 
So part of what we do today um, from the talent acquisition perspective is partner with communities like Women Who Code and others that can open that avenue with our female candidates, right, in the diversity space and for them to feel comfortable with us from the get-go. Part of the misconceptions and the bias that exists in every region today without exception is the misconception that as a woman, right, you need to comply with 100% of the skills in a job posting before even taking a chance and applying. So one of the main things we have worked on with the amazing sourcing team that we have is how to make job posts friendly, approachable in social media, in our career side, in our job portals, just to make sure that we tap the right talent. Especially in the technology world, it's very difficult for you to see a job profile and comply with all 20 technologies, right? Maybe we'll meet you halfway, maybe we can consider you for other positions in the same development or infrastructure space, how can we help you get there? And at the beginning, many years ago, we were not tapping that in the market. It was very difficult. So that's why we changed the way our approach in making sure that you have a career with TELUS International and that we are vocal about it from the beginning going to market. That is called sourcing, the way we go to market. Once we have that and we receive your application through our applicant tracking system, our CRMs, because we have a lot of technology in the recruitment space, for you to have an idea, we receive more than 350,000 applications per year. It's amazing. We are so happy to have so much interest. And because of the amount of positions we have globally, we need to have the right technology in place to filter candidates so they have rich conversations with our recruiters. So once we leverage technology there, the applications come in, our recruiter takes a look and gives you an intro call to welcome you to the process, to talk to you about TELUS International, we make sure that you have the right expectation from the beginning. It's a matter of, is this position, is this process for you right now? So we don't waste the candidate's time as well. So we spend a lot of time making sure they have the right expectation, explaining what we do as TELUS International, the client portfolio that we have in our belt right now, what type of technologies would they be exposed to and what's in it for them. And I keep saying this, as candidates, you always have to ask what's in it for you. So our recruiters are trained to be able to explain and convey to you everything that we have to offer, not only on the short term, but on the long run. Once we have established what's in it for you, and if the opportunities we have right now, you want to continue throughout the recruiting process and you consider you know those technologies, right, or, or knowledge of those procedures, or you are familiar if you are applying for a project manager position, are you familiar with the type of projects that we manage? Once we've done the basic questions, we move on to the assessment phase. In the technical space, it's all about the technical acumen. So we measure your knowledge in each of the technologies that you have agreed you will be tested in. And we also assess your profile, your competencies, your tendencies. When, we, when I said that the recruiter focuses about what's in it for you, 
we're thinking about the long run as well. So we have to look at your profile. Are you looking for a leadership position or you're looking for an individual contributor position to be with us? We make sure we know that from the get-go. So that type of psychometric assessments that we do are a reference. So we can use during the interview and also once you are hired, those tests are endorsed to HR just to make sure that they follow up on our growth plans uh, with you to take you down the path that you want to follow. So that is part of the assessment phase. Once you ace the tests on the technical acumen um, and on the profile, once we have those completed, psychometric assessments are not pass or fail. If someone tells you that, they are wrong. Psychometric assessments are reference, are a reference for recruiters to get to know you more. So once you have completed those, you move on to a third interview with our subject matter expert. The ones that are doing the nitty gritty, the ones on the operational side, doing the work for our clients on a day-to-day -day basis. Will you match the team that we have there today? If it's a leadership position, will you match the leadership styles that we have there? Will that be a risk for us if we have a lot of top performers and we're looking for a manager at that time? We have to look at all of that and those type of assessments help us make a decision. Once we've completed that interview, we move on to a final discussion with the recruiter. We discuss the results of the interviews, of the technical assessments, and we do a formal offer on what we have for US TELUS International. This includes financial offer benefits and also the career path that we foresee you having if you join our community. Once you decide that, you sign our consents, we go through a robust background check, local and international, because we're very careful on who we onboard into our community. It's not just knowing the technical acumen or the business acumen, regardless of the position that you're applying to. Do you follow our values by having the right integrity? We need to measure that and we need to make sure that you have it. You go through that and then you are onboarded. From day one, we give you visibility of our community, what we do, who we are, what verticals we have, uh, what's the career paths that you could follow, learning programs, how do you get there, mentorship, just so you know from the start who to reach out to and who to work for on an ongoing basis. I always say that the growth that you have in your career starts the day that you start a new position, you already have to be thinking about how you move on to the next level. Yes, it may be in four years, five years, whatever the time frame you have established for yourself, because we are owners of that. It doesn't matter. You always have to work on improving your professional acumen in the industry that you have chosen to be successful. Learning is not one thing that you can do from one day to another, especially in the technical space. So you need to earn and, and make sure you invest time on it to be successful there. That's the process that we have today. I love that you brought up uh, these um, misconceptions with women trying to be a perfect match for job descriptions. And it's uh, wonderful to get an insight on the recruitment process. Uh, I'm wondering what are the steps taken to avoid bias against women or non-binary genders and ethnicity, race, et cetera? 
So we, we do a lot of training today, right? Training is key, not only for our technical teams, but for our recruiters as well. Um, your recruiter, I always tell my team, you're accountable for our company's image and taking care of our culture. Our culture is key. I've said it 10 times and I'm gonna say it 10 times more, right? Our culture is so important for us. When we say that is following integrity and having that passion for growth and innovation. And part of that is how do you prepare your recruiters to maneuver among the different scenarios that may come to them uh, during an interview, during the first interaction with a candidate. So we make sure that they know how to prepare the space for our candidates, understand the profile first, right? That who they are interviewing to make sure that they feel comfortable with us. We ensure that we share the programs that we have for women and for LGBTQ as well, right? That we have today as part of the programs where you also can find a safe environment on how to talk about challenges that you want to overcome on a day-to-day -day basis and in the place of work or in your personal life. All of that is shared with our recruiters. Respect is key, right? Um, asking from the get-go uh, your pronouns, um, how do you wanna be addressed? Uh, where do you live now, especially on work from, from anywhere in, in the remote environment before, obviously you were talking to someone in Central America, they were in your same country. Now it's not the case. So we've added that question on where are you located so we can understand uh, the culture that you have as well, your background. Uh, so again, we can create that safe environment for you. Internally, our program's called Connections, which is our women's network and spectrum um, for LGBTQ community. Um, they're very robust and they make sure to keep us updated as well on the trends that we need to be on the lookout to make sure that our candidates are comfortable in this environment. So constant training is key, not only for recruiters, for the hiring managers, which are the business leaders, our HR teams, everyone goes through those type of trainings to ensure that we are respectful of that and we follow our values. We have zero tolerance for a lack of respect, zero. I can say that openly. Um, we are 60,000 employees globally and we're there because we are very careful with who we onboard. And I am very proud to say that as owner of the Global Talent Acquisition team, we make sure that as recruiters, we are comfortable with who we are onboarding into our community. I really appreciate these um, inclusive processes and programs at TELUS. Uh, now let's get technical about technical recruitment. What are some tech skills that you use for the job? So we use agile methodologies as talent acquisition uh, to follow our processes. We have found so much efficiencies. I wasn't six years ago, I wouldn't have imagined that we would have to train our teams in those type of methodologies. And, and at one point, I even thought, what, what's the return of investment, right? When you're in talent acquisition, you talk about profiles, competency, psychometric approach, but you never talk about the technical skills. And the markets have evolved so much 
in the past few years that you need to, to be uh, at that pace or you lose, right? So we started looking at that many years ago. And when I saw the return of investment on efficiencies throughout the process, the way that we maneuvered um, our current processes and assessments with clients, for example, was a disaster, I can say that. And um, it helped us significantly, even as HR representatives, to have that acumen. The, the whole team, 100% of the team is certified just to make sure that everyone is along the same lines. That's one. Second, uh, we make sure that if you're in the technical space, you are called a technical recruiter. If you have that name tag, that job description, it means that you need to be proficient in technologies. Now, we're not gonna give them the 200 technologies plus that exist today, but they need to know the basics, how they're evolving. What does emerging technologies mean today? They've changed, right? Actually, I always say this because I'm, I'm always following the news. They change every six months. It's new. So you have to be on top of it, of, of the market and, and check so your recruiters know what's coming their way. I remember when crypto came into our scope, I was like, wait, <laughs> how, do, how do you maneuver that? So we, we had to find certifications and basic trainings for our teams um, to know the basics on, on how to onboard the candidate, how to understand if they can go through the first filter uh, into the SME and assessment stage and we're not wasting their time. They certify themselves on development skills as well on how to train and how to assess those skills without having assessments. We do uh, the 20 most common technologies today and we make sure that all of them are proficient in those technologies. That's an ongoing process. You want to know the basics, but if one of our recruiters says, I actually want to learn how to code, for example, we have a lot of them that want to learn how to code so they can go above and beyond and be senior recruiters for senior positions. We have team members that are specialized only for, for um, architects, and um, they specialize on that, data scientists. So it depends, right, on, on the specialty that we have, and we open that. We have um, a learning platform with all the technologies that we have today. So they choose the level that they want and that defines the career path that they wanna have. It's also available for recruiters. And we have many that have moved into the coding space full-time, which is great. Right? It's part of the, of the opportunities that we have. It's so interesting to learn how recruiting has evolved and get a perspective of the world of technical recruiters and their specialization. So thank you for sharing that. What advice do you have for someone who is making a transition from a non-tech field to a technical role? We experience that every day. Um, our verticals for CX, and AI, we have a lot of team members that are interested in doing that transition. So we've enabled a learning platform for them, coach plus trainers, uh, to make sure that they choose the right path. My first recommendation is don't get overwhelmed by the amount of technologies. There's a lot of, of potential candidates internally and externally 
that when they see the development space, they say, oh yeah, I'm gonna learn how to code in, in, in Java. That's 0.5 of what you need to do, right? So you, you need to understand first what you want to achieve and what type of technologies you want to specialize yourself. What's the return of investment for you as a professional in learning those technologies? Are you going to learn Salesforce? Are you going to learn GCP, React? Those are the hot skills right now, the ones I just mentioned. To find the GCP architect, when I find them, I'm so happy. And my recruiters are so happy because they're very scarce. If you ask me, those are the technologies that you should be specializing yourself in because they're hot, right? Which gives you value as a professional. Don't get overwhelmed by the amount of technologies. Ask the right questions to experts that have done those transitions. If you don't know anyone, read. There's a vast amount of information on how to take the first step into a career in tech. And Women Who Code actually is a great example for that. Right? How do you start basics? How do you become a junior resource in the development space? That's very important. So read a lot, get yourself informed on what you wanna specialize in and choose technologies. Even if two years later you say, I wanna shift, I don't wanna be on the hardcore development, I wanna do QA, I wanna do project management, but learn to code, it's okay. But at the beginning, you need to understand the impact of the technologies, what type of industries are working with those today, and how will that benefit you as a professional in doing that shift? Also, how long will it take? I always tell team members, and this is not only for tech in general, when you choose a path, put a timestamp on it, do a project plan and say, it'll take me X amount of time to reach this knowledge or experience or complete a certification and how will that impact me how will my learning path impact my growth i remember personally for my career the amount of time i had to spend learning about the different cultures globally i couldn't go in blind and i couldn't assume that the same way i maneuvered my transactions in central america which is very unique by the way um, the labor law it would compare to Asia, it would compare to, to Europe, GDPR, privacy, right? Privacy regulations are so important. I needed to know all that before I was promoted and I knew that. So I had to work on all that if I wanted to be promoted to this position. The same goes for tech. You have to know what the path will lead and what you need to do in order to get there so you have the right expectation and you don't get frustrated because you can tend to get frustrated and overwhelmed. Hope that clarifies. Definitely. I love that answer about planning your transition based on the technical stack and creating a time frame to do so. Thank you so much uh, for that. And the next question is, um, so people often fear resume gaps, which is especially common for women and also for folks who may have taken a gap period because of burnout or for their health, including mental health reasons. So how do you as a recruiter view resume gaps? That's a good one. And thank you for, for asking. We discuss it with our teams all the time because immediately you may be biased. 
and our hashtag for this year uh, for International Women's Day, right? And month, because for me, it's the whole month that we're gonna celebrate with the team is breaking the bias, hashtag breaking the bias, um, as tell us international. And we're working a lot of that. It's, it's like the saying, drinking your own champagne. You wanna break the bias, let's start with the recruiting process, right? If you asked me six years ago, I would say gaps, risk, right? Um, it's a risk because what have you been doing? Um, have, have they been studying? Have they been catching up? We saw it as a huge risk. Part of the changes that we have to do as organizations and we have done as Telus International is embracing the gaps and seeing the positive aspect of it. I can give many examples, but how do we address it? First of all, in the recruiting process, in the interview, remember I was referencing to having a safe environment for our candidates. They need to trust us to let us know what happened in that gap. Was it a health reason? Was it because you were studying? Did you go abroad, backpacking through Europe, which was very common in my days, right? That you spent a year backpacking or through South America or through uh, North America, that, that was very common. It still is, right? Sometimes you just need a breather or you're shifting careers. When we talk about gaps, it's not only gaps of what were you doing for three years, but you started in marketing and then you moved in and, and became a developer. Why the shift? That, that's also a gap, right? That you need to understand in an interview. And it goes mostly on your profile. Will that impact us in our day-to-day -day business? The fact that you don't have the ability to decide and that you're comfortable in, in, a, in, in a space like ours in the outsourcing industry. We still have to understand that, but we cannot discriminate because we have proven that even though you have gaps, you're successful at a job. How many moms stopped working because they had to raise their babies for two to three years? have a lot of moms in my team and in our community. Yes, they stopped working, getting paid. But as you know, they do a lot of work at home and they were also studying. They were also keeping up. They were doing other things that bring a lot of value, a fresh perspective from someone outside of a day-to-day. -day. Misconception, bias, hire someone with experience, with a ton of experience, and only then will they be successful. That is not true. You need to have a combination, right? Of course, not everyone's going to be junior and not knowing what they're doing. That's, that's not the way to do business. But I always say balance in the organizations of the profiles that you have. Yes, you have experts that haven't stopped working in 20 years. And then you also have experts that come in with five years that can do the same and sometimes even better. And it's okay. That's why the combination of profiles is so important. So we cannot discriminate and assume that that is negative. We have learned and we have proven with data that even though you have gaps because of many reasons, we can address them and we can, you can be successful with us at a job. Yes, it may require some development. Maybe the learning curve is not in the first 30 days. Maybe it takes 90 days, but once you've surpassed those 90 days, it's amazing. Mental health, you brought it up. That's, that's a hot topic right now in the pandemic. I used to hear about mental health before 30% of the time. 
How much do we talk about mental health ever since the pandemic? 60% of the time. The misconception that mental health was negative. It's not, right? Did you crash because you were stuck at home? You were in, in quarantine. You were still working or studying, depending on, on what impacted you. Your whole family got COVID or worst, right? You had a tragedy in your family in throughout your friends. Those things impact you. We're all human. We're not robots and I'm not hiring robots. Part of the amazing things we do in our community is help other people. Then why not take care of our talent, of our employees as well? So again, drinking your own champagne, right? Going but what you live for, our culture, which is what we have ingrained in TELUS International. That's a tricky subject. You need to understand first what happened, how it impacted them, and if they are ready for a new opportunity. And that's why setting the stage on giving them the right expectation is key. We wanna make sure you're comfortable. What if you had a, um, a very serious situation in that matter and you're not ready to take on the pressure of a full-time job? Should we discuss a part-time opportunity? Should we discuss a freelancer opportunity before you engage in a full-time position? We have to take care of our candidates as well and know that they have a future with us. You can start as a freelancer part-time, then move on to full-time, let's do it. Or is this opportunity not for you yet? It is, is it though? Are you ready for us? We will not discriminate and say, I fear that because he had an issue, uh, it's gonna happen again. Even if it happens again, we are there to support you. We have a robust wellness program for our team members, for them to overcome those situations. It's been hard. It's been super hard. I never thought I would go through a pandemic, quite frankly, even um, in the stage of my age that I have. But I consider myself young, of course, at heart. But I never thought we would go through that type of situation as, as a global society that we would see such tragedies. How can you discriminate that when you have lived through that as well? So we make sure that we have a human approach in our recruitment process. If you encounter companies that are not willing to talk about it and they're negative, then that's not the organization for you. This insight is very helpful, very reassuring, and it's great that companies have started to become more understanding and supportive. Now, uh, Pam, do you feel it's better to discuss the salary expectations in the very beginning or wait it out? I do consider it's better at the beginning. That doesn't mean that if you didn't discuss it, you get afraid and you only wait for the end and and just see what they offer and say yes, no. Look, you have to do research. In the social media frenzy that we are, the vast amount of information online, you cannot say that you do not know or you don't have an idea of what you are valued, right? The worth that you have, depending on the experience that you have today or what you could potentially get along the way, right? Um, if you go into big job portals today, they have a lot of data available on ranges. In the technical market, it's about ranges. 
if you have uh, React plus uh, GCP, wow, that gives you a, a jump, right? Um, so it, it does depend on the, on the mix of technologies that you have under your belt that defines compensation, benefits, and career path, right? It, it defines everything. So my recommendation is do your research from the beginning. All the job uh, descriptions are in the career sites of, our, of big companies in the market. Take a look, match it, do your research, and find out before you come in from day one. It was a misconception that they used to say asking about salary at first puts you in a disadvantage. We don't consider that at TELUS International. We consider that we're giving each other the right expectation from the beginning. And our job is to be upfront and transparent as well and say, can we get there per the technologies that you have? Yes or no. So we don't waste your time as well. If you're interested, this is the range that we have. We always go per market for what the market is offering. And nowadays in the tech space, it changes every three months on compensation. So we have to be very uh, quick on how we're monitoring the market on the technologies, especially on the emerging ones, on what we have to offer on a fair pay that we say, fair benefits to start your career within TELUS International. If at any point you didn't know and you say, I'm afraid to ask right now that I'm in the assessment stage, don't be. Because as recruiters, we're gonna push you for it anyway. From the beginning, what's your salary expectation? We have some candidates that say, I wanna see along the way, um, I wanna test this, I'm not sure. Okay, can I give you an idea on the range that we have? We ask them because we wanna give you the right expectation. So you're not surprised along the way. And of course, in the offer stage, ask questions. Ask about the market, the industry, how does it compare to what the market is paying? Um, how are a salary increases in your company? You guys have merit, we call it merit, which are salary increases per tenure. Um, what if I move, what if I do a lateral move after six months, will I get an increase? What if I shift to a different position after two years? What type of salary bumps are we talking about? In the tech space, you have to ask those questions. So you have visibility on what to expect in your career. That makes a lot of sense. Um, this is really great advice. So I've heard that you are a very active volunteer. Could you tell us uh, about some of the initiatives you have worked on and what are the other things that you are passionate about outside of work? Of course, um, personally, it started many years ago, ever since I was in, in high school and, and then in college, I volunteer for animal welfare. That is very important for me, it's, it's big. We're not doing enough globally, um, we're also under a lot of misconceptions under welfare. So not only do I work on making sure I partner with communities to help rescue animals of all species, but also I work with entities on enabling information and educating our society on it. That's on the personal side. When I joined TELUS International, one of the things that amazed me the most was how we care so much about our community. So aside from what I just mentioned, uh, with TELUS International, we partner 
with communities to help women. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm very passionate about that. I've always been very passionate on how to help women find their path, your self-worth, what you deserve, right? My, my mom is a clear example of it and she motivates me every day. Uh, she's a strong, strict woman. <laughs> and um, she, she made me, I always tell her on, on who I am. She has a huge heart and she always partnered with those entities as well. So I learned a lot from her, but she always said, you know, you are a woman that has to help other women find their path because there's a lot that don't know their, their self-worth and we need to make sure we help them get there. I always remember that um, she and I partner on a lot of initiatives and at TELUS International, um, we have a lot of programs for women underprivileged that are starting their career. We have a program called HOPE uh, that is for underprivileged women that are starting off how we help them. And then we have another program, hashtag work for her, right? That even though you started in the, you started your career in any type of industry, how do we help you get to the next phase of your career in having a fair job? like the ones that we offer at TELUS International, which is amazing. How do you start your career and get paid two, three times that you would, right, in other types of jobs for underprivileged women? And how do you find your self-worth? How do you sell yourself on the skills that you actually have? As women, we are fair in our approach. We're very transparent in interviews. How do I help you get to the next step and making sure you share with the interviewer, all the skills and competencies that you have to bring to the table, the value that you have that you bring into the organization. That is part of what we do. That's part of my passion. Um, also with TELUS International, we have launched uh, community work for animal welfare. Uh, so I was very thankful for that, that was implemented. Really love learning about your passions and I admire what you do um, and how your mom has been a role model for you. That's pretty nice. Um, so as we wrap up, do you have any pro tips for folks in tech and what makes a candidate stand out? Any do's or don'ts? First of all, we, we offer you learning programs on how to build your own career from day one. And we have built them along the way. I've been here for 14 years and we have worked on it for, for a long time. How do you build your career from day one? Know what you want. And yes, there's a lot of candidates internal and external. They say, I still don't know what I want. It's okay. But then can we help you find out? Not knowing and not doing anything about it but then complaining that you don't have an opportunity versus a friend, a coworker, a family member, do something about it, right? And in our organization as TELUS International, we offer that for you. It's a program called Step Up, right? And we help you figure out first, what do you want? What do you wanna do? I wanna be a team leader, a QA, a project manager, and a developer, okay. Let's see how we either narrow it down or you learn first, right, from all those areas slash specialties or technologies 
how do you learn about them first before deciding on what is the path that you will go through? Ask a lot of questions, have a voice, have a say for other women throughout that process as well. My wish and my goal as a woman in a senior leader position is to always help women find their self-worth. Women, men, it doesn't matter on your gender. Choose the path that you want, but get trained on it. These days, for the past 10 years, it's all about what you learn, what you study, what you get certified in. Before, when I graduated from college, it was get graduated from the university, get an MBA, and that's it, move on. That has changed completely. I'm still studying and getting certified. If not, I'm not gonna be able to keep up, right? With how the market is changing. I've learned about technical acumen, which I thought I would never do, by the way. I thought it was like this, something out of space that I would never be able to learn. And I did, right? So you can, you can do it. Always narrow your path and say, this is what I want to do. This is the project plan that I, that I have. And that's how we help you get to the next step in our step-up program uh, that we have today. Um, we enable for you learning platforms. Uh, so you take the right path, mentors, coaches, shadowing sessions, um, role plays on interviews. As recruiters, we coach you, right? Next time for next process, I recommend this and this. I recommend being better prepared with a presentation. I recommend coming in with a plan for the first 90 days, depending on on what type of position they're applying for. We take you throughout your journey and that's part of the added value that we have. My recommendation to all the women out there, regardless of the phase that you are in your career, always surround yourself with people that will take you to the next step as well. Don't follow the misconception. Let's break the bias together. You can help other women and you're still gonna grow throughout your path. We don't have to crush other women to get what we want. Now, fortunately, globally, sometimes there is that misconception. Again, let's break that bias and let's help out each other to get to the place that we wanna be by giving upfront feedback, working as a team, having that passion for innovation. All of us will get to the place in our career that we want. Choose the path that you want, not what everyone else is doing. Choose what you want to do for your personal priorities and choose as far as you want to go and how will that not sacrifice the personal priorities that you have. If there is something that the pandemic has showed us is work-life balance. Let's say it together, balance. That doesn't mean two hours in a day for your personal hobbies and 10 years later regret things that you could have done. One of the advantages we have in the remote world and going to the office in a different way that you can do some work at home and then commute is the advantage of having room for more hobbies, more learnings, more personal time. So take advantage of that, do your path and choose the career you want for the priorities that you have. And you are welcome to have that as tele at TELUS International, right? We welcome you. We hope to have a conversation with you in the future. We're an amazing company and community. We have a lot to offer. So looking forward to seeing you in our recruiting processes that we have. That is uh, such a beautiful message on breaking the bias. 
Thank you so much, Pamela, for spending this morning with us and sharing your insights. We really appreciate it and all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you again for the time today. Very honored to be here with you. This week on Women Who Code Talks Tech, we're highlighting a talk entitled Investigating the Agile Inclusion Paradox, Lessons for Diversity in Tech, given by Joe Stansfield, the founder and director of Inclusioneering. Enjoy. Uh, I hope you're all here for today is to learn uh, some new insights from the research about gender and race in tech teams. Uh, so for, uh, for people coming for ourselves, you know, we may just want to know more about how we can do better in our own careers, how can we get more traction, but actually there's also lessons uh, within this research for allies and teams and organizations about how to support people within your sphere of influence um, uh, from underrepresented groups in your tech teams. So before we dive in uh, to the research, I'd like to talk to you about a friend of mine who really for me represents an awful lot of the things that I see happening within tech teams. So her name's Shinaz. Um, she was a real, um, I, I guess, uh, studious teenager, went to uni and studied a maths master's degree, good university in the UK. Um, and after university, she became a software developer and she gained uh, you know, some good, good software skills and her aspiration was to get, kind of go up in the ranks within her uh, software team and to eventually work towards becoming a software architect where she was really demonstrating and kind of achieving technical leadership. So a couple of years into her career, she um, you know, took, took her first job move from her first company and she joined a new company. Um, we'll keep them anonymous, so let's just call them Fubar Solutions. And she became part of an agile development team. So Shinaz still had her um, ambitions at this point. You know, I really want to be an architect uh, and really develop my technical strengths within this team. What was she found that um, you know the, the team had you know, a certain dynamic as all teams do, and Shinaz very conscious of the people around her, made sure that she was playing nicely with the team, and uh, fitted her strengths around the strengths that she saw the other team members had. But what this turned out to mean was that she found herself doing more and more of the kind of people organizing tasks within the team and you know the kind of the technical roles that she'd been looking to have somehow kind of took second place to some of the more people oriented kind of team organization stuff uh, that she found herself doing and the team complimented her for it and she was quite proud actually that she was doing something that was valuable to the team and actually soon she was offered a role as a project manager so kind of wind on about three years to now and Shinaz is kind of thinking do I actually want to be doing this you know it's uh, my ambition is still there I still wanted to be like really technical and to be showing technical leadership but as I see Kelly has said I'm busy doing the glue work you know I'm holding it together you know it's like what do I do next you know what's my move and how can I get back within a path that's really determined by me and how do I reignite my career so I'd just like to zoom out a little bit and put some of this in context about what does this actually mean within the tech industry? Um, and you know, looking at this from the lenses of both gender and about race. So I'm based in the UK, um, but I've given uh, some, some US figures here, but if you'd like to know any about the stats in the UK or some other countries, I've, I've got some of these uh, to hand as well. So within the United States, around about 25% of the IT kind of computing tech workforce are women. 
which is obviously not as many as women we have in the population. Uh, but what we also see is that women just don't progress within their careers at the same rate as men in the tech industry, and they don't stay within those careers at the same rate either. So when we come you know, rolling several years on in the organizational lifespan, actually we only get 5% of technical leaders actually being women. So we have you know, what I'm sure you've all heard referred to as the leaky pipeline within a career within an organization. So even though we have this lower percentage of women joining the tech workforce than, of course, exist within the population, even fewer actually manage to progress to the most senior levels in the organization. So actually, we see a pretty similar uh, story as far as racial and ethnic minorities go within the tech workforce as well. So within the US tech industry, the industry average is that about 32% of employees are um, an ethnic or racial minority in the US. However, in the United States population, actually, it's 40% of the population are actually not white. Now, we've got some missing people here. And actually, predominantly within the tech industry, that's black people and people who are Latino and Hispanic um, backgrounds who are the people who are really not being represented within the tech industry, within this gap that we see here. And all of these figures were before COVID. So we had some issues and then along came COVID. So some research from uh, midway through last year showed that women are actually picking up over seven, almost eight more hours of unpaid childcare and other kind of domestic duties than men are. Um, and students of color have been disproportionately affected in household chores in a very similar way. So some research by McKinsey um, actually found that as the result of COVID, uh, around about 13% of men are actually considering leaving the workforce altogether, but 23% of women were actually making that same consideration. So huge impacts on men and women, but especially so on women within the tech industry. So I'd like to zoom out again and talk a bit more about what this means. So we've seen the individual impact on Shanaz uh, and her career aspirations. And we've seen about the, um, you know, the aggregate input of the, uh, you know, those numbers of representation within the tech industry. But the impacts actually felt far beyond um, just these individuals and these organizations. So globally, we're actually facing a um, digital uh, skills shortage. There just aren't enough people with digital skills to fill the demand from jobs. And actually, the acceleration um, in growth of these jobs is really huge, um, particularly because of digital transformation sweeping across pretty much all sectors of industry, you know, particularly with Internet of Things, artificial intelligence and machine learning really um, having application across so many different areas. Uh, now, this stat here is from the UK, um, but an Accenture report calculated that uh, in the UK, 141 and 0.5 billion pounds of gross domestic product will be foregone if that gap isn't closed by 2028. So we can see that there's just this enormous economic, economic impact of these digital skills just not being able to be filled. So of course, if we can tap a wider proportion of people across the population, uh, there's, there's some way to address the skills shortages. But it goes beyond this too, because it's not just about um, filling roles, it's about filling roles in a way that means that we're addressing the needs of society. And actually something that's really concerned me over 
the last few years is the increasing reports we see um, in the news of bias in automated decision making, you know, particularly from artificial intelligence. Uh, so one that really caught my attention recently was um, drivers with, um, I believe it was Uber, uh, were complaining that they were being denied work because the facial recognition system didn't work properly for dark skinned people. And so especially in nighttime, actually the facial recognition did not see them. It didn't know that they were the person they claimed to be. And so it denied them the opportunity for the work that they were trying to get. So, you know, for addressing all of these kinds of bias, actually, it's important not only fulfilling the roles, but to make sure that the needs of people across society are actually represented within the workforce to make sure that these kinds of issues are recognized and they're prioritized and that they are addressed before we keep releasing software that, uh, you know, essentially sustains these systemic disadvantages. So that's why it matters. So I'm going to zoom back in again and take a look at what actually happens within tech teams. So let me just give a bit of grounding to uh, make sure we're all talking in similar terms about Agile. So I'm talking about Agile in the, the broadest sense, so no particular methodology here. Um, so agility um, is defined as the ability of an organization to innovate, collaborate and create value, um, dynamically adapting to change. So actually ag agility um, with this definition is something that's being adopted now beyond um, tech teams quite often, even in HR, I hear people talking about you know agility in HR, um, although I will just, uh, confess I'm yet to see them actually uh, managing to implement this. Uh, so it's, a, it's an important concept uh, for, for tech teams and for beyond. So agile teams are typically characterized by um, valuing uh, people and interactions above processes uh, from the Agile Manifesto and teams are empowered. You know, it's really important that the Agile team itself has got all of the skills they need in the team. Uh, so they draw on different disciplines and they can self-organize to solve the challenges that are brought to the team. They make use of reflective practice. So very typical that the team will inspect what they're doing and adapt their practices from retrospectives or plan to check act is another, another way that this is described sometimes. And importantly, the opportunities within the team are discussed as a team collectively. So the work comes into the team as a whole, and then the team as a whole talk about it, work out what the tasks are and distribute them amongst themselves. So within my uh, master's uh, degree, as you do, you just do an awful lot of reading of all kinds of things. And there was one book that I really um, just found very impactful and very useful. I do recommend it. It's uh, called What Works by an author called Iris Bonnet, who's a professor at Harvard University. Um, and actually, one thing that really stood out to me is in all of her descriptions of recommendations for organizations about how to build inclusion, an awful lot of it is very much like these agile values and principles. So she talks about embedding inclusion within the organizational values, making sure that uh, processes are transparent so people know what work is there and are inclusive in how it's uh, distributed and take time to reflect on what's working and make changes as necessary. So we've got this apparent alignment, but as we've just seen from the stats, we don't have uh, this great outcome. We can see the pipeline leaks. So why do we have this pipeline problem? Why do we not have women and people in racial minorities more included and better able to progress? So first step in this was to look to see what uh, the research that's already been done can tell us about. 
And actually what I found is that an awful lot of research about inclusion and the leaky pipeline is focused around um, what I call the big ticket career events. So when someone's looking for a job, um, you know, they're going through the interview process or the CV selection, when their performance is being assessed, when they're having a pay uh, increase. Um, but actually these things don't happen all that often. You know, this is maybe once a year, maybe maybe once every couple of years that you find a new job, you get a promotion, hopefully, uh, you know, annual pay increases. So what happens in the in-between? You know, is there anything that we can observe in the everyday that maybe means we can interrupt this bias before we hit these big ticket events? So my next step on this was to understand some of the psychological factors within a team uh, that might cause some disparity. So this is what I call the agile inclusion paradox, that we have our agile practice appearing to be aligned with our recommended best practices for inclusion. So here are those best practices again. But from the organizational psychology and some of the social psychology I was learning, actually there's a lot of psychological factors within a team that are gonna get in the way. So first up, the basis of a lot of it is stereotyped expectations. We categorize people based upon their social groups uh, and gender and race are very typical social groups that people subconsciously categorize people to. And actually this is a normal process. We simplify the social world so that we're able to process and make quick decisions. But the problem of course comes in that people don't always meet uh, expectations, stereotypes or generalization and not true for everybody. And they also align with relative status. So we have different status expectations of women as compared to men, as different races as compared to each other, as an example. And this can get baked into our expectations of those people and can actually influence the evaluations we make about how competent they are and how well we expect them to, form, to perform in different situations. So this is where bias and prejudice can come in. And this can be expressed um, overtly, but actually in my experience, an awful lot of it is expressed um, quite subtly in the form of microaggressions, where someone probably from a higher status group makes some kind of uh, comment that essentially holds the other person in a lower status position. And they might even be well-meaning. So one that I hear, um, you know, young women often mention is, he said to me, I'm too pretty to be a software engineer. And I don't really know how I feel about that. Uh, you know, and it can have that kind of effect that it's a bit confusing and it feels a bit insulting, but you know, they kind of meant something good and it's, completely messes with your mind. Other examples would be, um, you know, for a racial example would be complimenting um, a black person on how well they're speaking, which then has the subtle implication, well, I didn't expect that. Uh, so you can see that actually these compliments can actually be hiding a much darker uh, kind of expectation that really isn't up to, uh, you know, the level that somebody may actually be working at. So all of this can lead to uncertainty uh, uh, of someone's feelings of belonging, and it can also lead to what's called stereotype threat. So if somebody um, knows, for example, that there's a negative stereotype that someone might apply to them, it can really impact their confidence and kind of create fear that they might inadvertently reinforce that stereotype uh, and then kind of undermine their own um, yeah, their own abilities and also, you know, kind of create this negative impression that continues for their group. So it can impact people's motivations about what opportunities they go for uh, and what kind of things are realistic to actually expect to be able to achieve. 
But this doesn't actually just impact the individuals. It's not just about how people feel about themselves. It's also about the group behaviors. So the group uh, will tend to act to reinforce the expectations that people enter the team with. So if someone enters the team seen as being a great people organizer, they'll get given a job to organize people. Next sprint, oh, you know, Joe did really well on this uh, kind of peopley task, let's give her another one. And essentially over not very many sprints, actually these established norms become reinforced within the team uh, and actually become constraints that prevent people from kind of moving laterally so easily. So I'm realizing how much I'm talking and I'm gonna have to speed up a little. Uh, so this led me anyway to my research question. Uh, I'd started thinking, is Agile enough to build inclusion? Well, actually we already can see no. Um, so instead, what factors actually are influencing this? Is there micro iniquities in terms of what gets assigned? Uh, are people getting various stereotypical tasks based on their demographic? Do we actually see different motivations within individuals? And actually, does all of this tell us anything about what we can do about it? So what I did was to launch an online survey. I called it the Agile Experiences Survey. And I was really quite um, neutral in terms of how I put it. So people didn't know it was about equality and inclusion uh, to encourage people to answer honestly without skewing uh, the way that they were going to answer it. So this was for North American and European uh, people who were in tech teams. It was all available online and I recruited via social media predominantly. Uh, and I asked people questions about what type of tasks they got. So how technical was it? How user centric was it? How important was it? So aligning with those kind of status and gender uh, stereotypes and then questions about their career aspirations and their job satisfaction. So I managed to get 124 people responding to it. As you can see, uh, mostly white men, just over 50%, but a good proportion of women and a, a reasonable number of people who were not white, uh, although not enough to be able to analyze uh, different uh, race groups separately, unfortunately. So what did I find? Well, first up, and I'm sure will surprise almost uh, none of you, women were found to have less technical tasks than men. So I also saw that people from racial minorities have lower job satisfaction, but no particular difference actually showed up in the types of jobs they had. And actually one thing that this just smacks me in the face with is what I've written here in big, is that although there's the similar psychological mechanisms going on here about why these groups experience differently, they do not have the same experience as each other. We cannot treat each different demographic group or intersectionality uh, as if everyone is the same. It's quite different experience for different people. But let me show you here the graphs of what it looked like. So you can hear, see here the uh, perceived technicality that uh, people have of their jobs. Almost 45% of women said that their tasks were below average technicality uh, versus you can see almost all of the men said either average or above average technicality. By the way, for um, user centricity, if uh, that's a word, uh, everyone said that they have average or above average uh, user centricity. So no one is less, uh, less user centric than average apparently. But I think that this is a uh, quite, uh, quite interesting result to see this uh, put in a graph, even if intuitively many of us already knew this. So we can also see the job satisfaction scores that white people have higher job satisfaction than people who are in a racial minority group. 
So I found it quite surprising, actually, that we didn't see any job satisfaction differences by gender, because we do know that people leave their jobs um, in a rate that's proportional to their job satisfaction. These things are correlated. Uh, so why is that? That's a bit strange. You know, it, could there be that there's some mediating factor that means actually women report their job satisfaction differently or they're more likely to leave a job for apparently equal satisfaction? Uh, one thing that did stand out, though, was that people from racial minorities you know, do have a higher exit rate and they do have that lower job satisfaction. And so this can be a reason here that explains that. Uh, something that I didn't mention that was quite concerning, actually, was that it seems that the reasons people were giving for lower job satisfaction uh, from racial minorities is they were reporting lower scores on the questions around kind of the autonomy they have and their ability to use their own methods in teams. And remember, this is in agile teams. You know, that's kind of a key principle that we, we should be uh, empowering people with those things. Now, one of the favorite um, kind of outcomes, I guess, of my research was when I looked at career aspirations. Uh, so, you know, stood out loud and clear, people from racial minorities especially have got higher aspirations than white people. Uh, and in some domains, women have got higher aspirations than white men. Uh, given the progression rates, you know, this uh, is unexpected. We see that people from racial minorities and women progress at lower rates, yet they actually have the highest uh, career progression uh, kind of aspirations. So here we can see uh, just the white versus non-white groups. Uh, but here I've combined them all, uh, maybe a little uh, small to see, but you can essentially look at this graph and see, well, white men have got the lowest career aspirations of everybody. Actually, uh, ethnic minority women have got the highest aspirations when it comes to their professional education. Uh, and when it comes to leadership aspirations, uh, you know, the, the groups don't seem to have a difference with that intersectionality, just white and everyone else higher uh, is the, the summary of what I'd say this graph says. So I think this is uh, very interesting and also a little uh, sad, you know, that we have uh, you know, frustra frustrated ambitions, essentially, that we can see here. And actually, perhaps this is part of the reason why we see uh, people from racial minorities actually reporting that lower job satisfaction, because they're just not meeting those aspirations. So some research in the UK by the British Computer Society actually found that for the same job levels, um, people from racial minority backgrounds tend to actually have higher educational qualifications as well. So it's not even that they're aspiring to things they don't achieve. They do actually achieve the level of education, but it isn't translating into career progression. And actually, this just really echoes um, you know, what people often say in other research that says, actually, we're having to work twice as hard to get equal or even half the recognition. So coming back to uh, the, the women's technical tasks or their lower technical tasks, it doesn't seem that women are necessarily having an issue with it. Their job satisfaction is not lower. But one thing that really stood out that concerned me here was that because I asked about task technicality and task importance, I could see actually the teams overall correlated more technical tasks with more important tasks. Uh, so does this mean something about the lower technical tasks being valued less highly that women are taking? So this all says to me, what we're looking at here isn't necessarily stuff about what's going on in an individual. Actually, this is about the value that's being placed on the individuals by the teams and the organizations that they're in. 
are we actually valuing the work that women do? Are we actually valuing the aspirations and the progression opportunities that we can give to our racial minority colleagues? Are we actually valuing the education that they're achieving? So the implications of this, Agile does have some great qualities, you know, without doubt, Agile is, is a good thing. And something else that I saw that I didn't really report here is that people in Agile teams versus the people who took it that shouldn't have done that weren't actually in Agile teams and got screened out by my questions. The Agile teams were more satisfied. They, they did actually have higher job satisfaction. But we can see that women and racial minority team members have got different experiences from their white male counterparts. So we can see that Agile on its own is not enough to build inclusion and equality in the team. And we need to take conscious action to actually disrupt these patterns. So what are my recommendations? Uh, well, first up for individuals, it's really important that you own your own strengths and your values. You reflect on what's important to you and you stick to your guns. You know, you, you carve out your path and you have confidence in yourself uh, to you know, stick to what you believe you want to be doing. And for organizations, this reinforces you know, other advice that's often there, which is to have a really structured and clear approach to career progression. So people are able to see what's expected of them and they are able to meet the requirements to actually bridge to the next level. Also important to look at the cultural factors that may be impacting people within teams you know, to do with the, the way that work is valued. But really my key recommendations come around the agile team members and team leaders themselves. So despite everything we found here, Agile has got some really great hooks to build inclusion. That alignment that shows up in the Iris Bonnet book with what Agile does, I think is a real key to how we can do better. So when it comes to building inclusion, we can adopt an Agile mindset. We can think about it in a plan, do, check, act, inspect and adapt way. So apply the same principles of continuous improvement to the way that we approach inclusion in our teams. And we can make use of the agile ceremonies that we have where people actually come together to make decisions and to reflect, to consciously put inclusion into those processes. So lots of research kind of questions unconscious bias training, you know, is it effective or not? But actually other research is pointing to kind of coaching being a much more effective way to actually lead to behavior change. And actually my belief is if we bring it in to where the work happens within the team and we coach through uh, the way that things are done just as an agile coach already does in the team, we can ask powerful questions that change outcomes. So in a sprint planning, for example, who's being ex excluded or who isn't being heard in this meeting and how can we change it? What patterns do we see emerging in the way that we do things? How can we do it differently to equalize opportunities across the team? How can we disrupt the silos that we're seeing formed? And so by this means, we can create greater opportunities within the team uh, and show greater recognition for our diverse team members. But actually beyond that, this stuff is going to strengthen the team. You know, this is going to be great for individuals, but actually it's also going to help the team by uh, building greater resilience because there's going to be a broader spread of people that can do the work, will increase productivity and the team will be able to much better address the spread of challenges that they actually have to deal with coming back to these, uh, you know, for example, uh, issues of bias within artificial intelligence or products just not designed to meet the needs of everybody who uses them. So some uh, summary here just to wrap up. You know, we've seen that Agile values people, transparency and reflection, and that really aligns well with inclusive best practices. But on its own, it's just not enough. 
we've seen that women and racial minorities do actually have different experiences from their white male counterparts. But the good news is we can actually use the agile mindset practices and ceremonies to provide hooks that mean we can actually consciously reflect upon and build greater inclusion and equality into our teams. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.